to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart, the podcast where we chat with athletes, coaches and industry professionals about the benefits of being involved in sport beyond performance. joined by Australian basketballer Callum Brooks. Callum plays for the Gowanus, who is the national deaf basketball team for Australia. Playing basketball at a local level in regional Victoria, Callum, who was unaware of the pathways, just wanted more, and this led him to search the internet where he found the Gowanus in his early 20s. For more information about the Gowanus or Deaf Basketball Australia, you can find links in the show notes. In 2015, Callan's first year in the team, they won a gold medal at the Asia-Pacific Deaf Games. Through playing with the Gowanus, Callan has not only discovered that he is capable of anything that he can set his mind towards, but he has also found a family in the team. Having to fund their training camps and competition expenses themselves is an additional pressure that the Gowanus face. Before we jump in, as we are recording remotely, the audio is not at its usual quality. However, there is a lot of important information found in this chat that would be beneficial for the hearing impaired community. So you can find a transcript for this interview on our Facebook page, Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. So welcome, Callan. It's great for you to join us this morning. Thank you. So you play basketball and you're with the Australian Goannas team. Can you tell us about your sporting journey? So I've been playing basketball since very young, when I was about seven years old. My best friend from prep introduced me to basketball. I had no idea what it was, but I said, yes, I'll go. And then I walked into a stadium clueless and then started playing basketball. So my journey started playing locally ever since I was young. None of my family are basketball players from growing up. And what I understood was just from playing and playing with friends. I I would say it was always my favourite sport and, and I loved playing it, so I played a lot at home practice. And, yeah, and then once a week wasn't enough. I would play as much as I could, Maui and in Turtle. I played in two to three different teams, two in Maui, one in Turtle, and try and make it three times a week if I could. And, you know, winning games, grand finals, MVPs, uh, it just, I wanted to seek more and eventually... Uh, a thought came into my mind saying, have you thought about basketball nationally? And I thought, oh, wow, that, that would be pretty cool. So I went into Google and looked through for Australian deaf basketball. Um, it wasn't easy, but I, I found some sort of source that managed to connect with someone. And they introduced me to their training camp at the next time. And so I was able to, you know, train and work hard and I was waking up at 6am getting ready for it because I, I thought it would be pretty crazy if I could represent the country. I never thought that would ever happen. I would have loved to play representative basketball as I grew up, but I didn't understand the system or how it worked and, and no one around me did either. So, yeah. uh, it was quite special to be able to represent the country yeah, that's amazing. And you mentioned before that, you know, your family weren't really basketball people, so they didn't know the back end of the system and how to 
find those pathways, I guess. So just jumping on and Googling how to find a deaf basketball team is really incredible. And the fact that the power of the internet got you to a point where you are now. What age were you when you joined or got curious and decided local wasn't enough? Yeah, I was 23. So up to that point, I was doing as much as I can locally and playing as many teams and winning as many games. And, and then I got curious. I just, I think I just hit a wall. I just said, I, I want more. And that was when I was 23 because I, I wanted to do more. And, and that's how it happened from 23 years old. Oh, wow. So that's, I don't know about basketball, but that's a little bit later, like mid-early 20s. Did you wish that you could have found it a little bit earlier? Yeah, uh, I do wish because I would have been, been able to have played more at an elite level. I would have yeah. understood more of the back end of basketball, like you saying, um, earlier. Uh, but I guess I'm the kind of person who wants to look forward all the time, so I don't dwell too much on it. But yeah, like that, I could have played in Korea if I went early enough. Or, but um, yeah, so I've played in other areas like Taiwan and Turkey, and they've been great. Yeah, that's incredible. And in 2015, was that your first year on the team? Yeah, and oh. exactly. Um, so I joined in about March or March, June, and they had a world championship in July. They wanted me to come, but it just it was too soon, you know, passport and getting all organised for their world championship. So I had to watch them, you know, from the phone, updates and internet. It was a bit disappointing, but... I knew we had another competition, the Asia-Pacific Death Games in November. And so they played really well in the World Championship. They ranked five in the world. Um, yeah. They played against countries in Europe, uh, Greece, Poland. So it was some pretty important games that were hard. And, and so I got ready for the Asia-Pacific Games. And in November, when we went to Taiwan, we were quite in sync and training what we can together. And we ended up winning the first gold medal for any deaf basketball team ever in history. Oh so that was quite special. We won every game in that Asia-Pacific deaf game, but no one could keep within 20 points of us. We were very strong and in defence. Our defence was impeccable. And they were tough games, though. It, it, the pressure is full every second of, on the court, playing against big teams, big countries like China, Japan, so we were able to prove um, for the first time that we were the best team in Asia. That's insane. So you made Australian history with that championship? Yep. So first time we had ever gotten a gold medal for Australia Deaf Basketball. We then probably got a bit more recognised from that point on because history is being made, but not many people are aware of it. Hmm. Um, so we're trying to get louder. <laughs> Yeah. As, as we keep playing. And so we're trying to also promote uh, the Goan on the internet, like you mentioned, um, it's quite a very amazing source. Yeah, and are you guys associated with Basketball Australia? So we're associated with Deaf Australia. So mm -hmm. There are like kind of politics behind things and that. So 
we try to get as much recognition. Like when we won the gold medal, we were invited by um, by supporters to attend the Melbourne United game as a team, and we were able to introduce ourselves on the big screen up on the court at halftime. So that was pretty cool, and they had filmed us, and we we're all waving our uniforms. So we do what we can, but as far as we don't get government support, so we try and get the support from the communities and and our friends and family. We've done it a lot now, so. We kind of feel bad, but we do go out of pocket ourselves a lot of the time anyway because we know um, it's important to us. Yeah. But we also feel, I guess, it's a sense of responsibility or obligation because representing the country, it doesn't happen all the time, especially in the deaf community. We are able to do that. Yeah, that's amazing that you're able to represent our country and it's a little bit disappointing that you have to fund it all completely by yourselves. But if we can raise some awareness for you guys. It's obviously one of the most common conversations for us to have, but I guess in a way we should also, like we try and do better ourselves, but not complain, you know, life is good and we do what we can. It's the Aussie spirit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I read, I think it was on the Facebook page of the Goannas that your nickname is Sparkles. <laughs> How did that come about? So I had two nicknames. The one that came with Sparkles, I think it was because of a jumpy personality, uh, a very open, I guess, a bit funnier points, and they felt like Sparkles was a replication of, of my uh, personality. So that's they called me Sparkles. As a sign language, <laughs> so that's how Sparkles came about. I'd like to think of for that reason. If it's for other, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's not a not an awful nickname to have. It's a positive, happy, vibrant one. It could be worse. It definitely <laughs> could be worse. <laughs> that's it. And you also have a pre-game ritual of listening to music. Why is that your ritual? I know it's a lot of athletes' rituals, but Specifically, what's that do for you? Um, I guess I can only speak for myself because I haven't really asked another athlete, but it's interesting that very different music as well you might find from athletes. Every pre-game ritual I had in Asia Pacific and, and Turkey, I would listen to um, classical and jazz music because I wanted to focus, calm my nerves because it's a really nerve-wracking experience. You've got a lot of people watching from every side of the court. Although I'm deaf, I, I feel like it's a lot of noise and the pressure is, is really insane when you're on the court because you have a lot of expectation from your team and your coach to play your best and at your peak level. The last thing you want to do is disappoint anyone. Um, so I do as much as I can to try and kind of regulate and calm my nerves and to just try and feel as comfortable as I can before I get out there and give it my all. Yeah, I love that. I know I have to listen to calming music before I do something big to regulate my nerves, but my partner likes listening to hardcore Eminem and pump up music. And even when before he races, it makes me feel so sick because then it makes me too nervous for him races, but it, gets him where he needs to be so it's interesting that everyone kind of has different things that works for them yes it is interesting because uh, i think some of my other teammates they probably had more of the i guess the, the heavy music and stuff so it's whatever works for each of them 
and getting psyched up before the game as well as a team. We're all in a circle and we start yelling and screaming, getting each other psyched up, hitting yourself and hitting your others and get ready to get into battle. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. That's one thing I missed out on in an individual sport is that team, like they were there, but they weren't in my race in the trenches with me. So, yeah, that's incredible, that energy. And when playing internationally at an elite level, fighting for a gold medal, it's not always nice. You get hit, pushed, shoved. You know, we've had a couple of players that try and do sneaky things like <laughs> we've had one grab his balls and um, elbow in the eye. And it, it's a real, um, a real battle on the court sometimes. So you really got to work as a team and end up for each other. Yeah, I love that. So the position I play is shooting guard or the wing. So um, we have guys that are bigger than me and and smaller than me, um, but also based on their skills as well. Um, So we have some quick, fast guys that are shorter and they play point guard and and they make plays as well, call the plays with the help of coach. I always run on the side in the wing and, and make the player just shoot his guard, try and get into his position. If I, if I can get a shot in, I will, or make a play. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. So it's a real team sport, and I guess I don't understand the game and the positions very well, but that's really cool that you guys have your own roles. And I read somewhere, I can't remember which article I read it on, but that your coach will pull you off if you're not working as a team. Correct. If you're selfish for a couple of seconds or even one second, they'll get someone else up straight away. Um, if we're not working as a team. Actually, that's an important principle because the Asia Pacific, I felt like there were so many players better than me. They were better shooters, they were quicker. They probably knew the game better than I did. Like I didn't have that understanding of structured basketball growing up. And so when I went to Asia Pacific, that was very intimidating that a lot of people were better than me. And I, I didn't like that because <laughs> I was usually one of the best players in local basketball, but going to internationally, there were so many people better than me. And, and the only way we were able to win and dominate was as a team and, and we managed to do it. And they, other countries didn't have better players than us, but we were a better team. Yeah, I love that because it is a team sport and you know, you can have one or two superstar players, but well, they can't carry the team if you guys are stronger as a unit. Yeah, that's right. And that's what we had to rely on and focus on as a team if we were going to do it and win. And that's what made it so amazing to handle as well. Um, you know, a few of the guys were in tears when we won that last game, and including our coach. Um, he probably never saw himself as a, a coach for the dead team winning an Australian gold medal years before. He probably didn't think that would happen either. Um, and that happened. So. Oh, what a wonderful achievement. What have you guys done since that Asia Pacific Deaf Championships? There's probably a big thing every year. Yep, so it's every two years, um, but that makes the competition every year as well. So every four years there's a Deaf Olympics and every yep. four years there's an Asia Pacific. And they're um, halfway of each other. Um, yeah. There's also a world championship in between those. So there's usually about three big competitions in a four-year span. Yeah, that's, I guess, quite similar to a lot of high-performance sports. And how have you been going recently? Recently, it's been 
much harder because um, we have players in Queensland, South Australia, New South Wales. So they travel by aeroplane to come together in Melbourne and train. We used to train every six weeks. Uh, with COVID-19 restrictions, it's just not possible. And so we have had a um, personal trainer assigned to the team recently. And so we've been doing Zoom sessions uh, weekly, doing as much as we can, but we relied on personally to keep ourselves healthy and not horrible at the game. No competition we're going at as well. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of a, a maintenance period or building the base and keeping the base because you don't know when you're going to have to get game. Is it game fit? Yeah, game fit is a good way to say it um, because you really have to put extra effort and, and even more, you know, 10 weeks before you go. Um, you, you really need to get yourself to a peak that you've never been to before. And so we're not at that level anymore. We're, we're not at our peak. I think 2020 has had to test a lot of people in the whole world, but especially athletes who have to plan when to get game fit or race fit. And you don't know when your next competition is. And like, I couldn't imagine not knowing. I'll actually share, um, we were planned to play in Hong Kong, our Asia Pacific qualifying game for Brazil Olympics, And they had the protesting come up less than a week before so I'm getting ready to pack about Saturday, Sunday. We're ready to go on Wednesday and we were told that we can't go. It's heartbreaking in a way actually because you know I've been training every day. I was not working at the time so I was able to be in the court for most of the day every day getting ready, getting to a peak and just um, a few days before that was cancelled. So they tried to have it rescheduled and we were going to go to Bahrain. Uh, I don't know how to say it properly, but um, we were scheduled to go there and then COVID-19 had hit, so another competition postponed. So we've had big competitions postponed due to COVID-19. Yeah. That's so harsh. That, I guess, kind of leads us into the second question. What benefits has participating in sport provided you as an individual? I love that question because it taught me massive life lessons. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but the saying that if you work hard or you can do anything you want to be, that really became more true as a goanna. So I, I had left school when I was 15 because I found it too hard to keep up with the demands of the hearing environment. It wasn't too accessible for me, so I would... Um, uh, misbehave and play up in school and, and not want to be there. So I left and did an apprenticeship from then. And then as a goanna, because I knew that I never left for something that I wanted to do. And so when I started goanna at 23 and probably a year or two in, I decided to go back to school and do what I wanted to do and had the thought that, you know, if I work hard, I can do it just like I have been with sport. A lot of people questioned, like they kept warning me saying it will be hard going back to school because they understood 
understood that I left when I was 15 and, and the university is a very different environment with the, mm. you know, the grammar, the everything associated with it. And I just kind of kept stop telling people, warning me, stop warning me, like, I know it's going to be hard, you don't have to remind me, but I, I knew that I, I was positive that I could accomplish it. And so I ended up um, studying RMIT for a diploma in financial planning. And in that same year, I got Best Student Award and passed every grade with flying colours, high distinction, distinctions. And it was a great way to prove that with hard work, you can truly accomplish anything. And my wife can vouch for it, but after uni, I went to the State Library and I just kept studying and I kept working. And, and all the teachers saw that and, and the results happened and was able to shock the people that already knew me and that kept warning me that, will be hard but I was able to smash it because I, I believed it and that was a very different person to when I was much younger. I honestly believed I wouldn't be able to pass year 12, that's why I left. Oh wow and I look back now and I've done a uni degree and year 12 was a walk in the park <laughs> compared to uni. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Well, I'm, I can tell you, it was a walk in the park. So you would have blitzed through year 12 if you were getting distinctions and high distinctions at uni. Yeah, so it, it was really, it felt special. I didn't really understand the grades, but I was learning them. I didn't know what HD or D or D or whatever, all that, because they were different to the school ones we had, A, B, C, D, E. <laughs> it was really quite an amazing lesson. And that was from the benefit of playing an elite level in basketball with the deaf community. Um, it was able to inspire me that I could accomplish anything if I put my mind to it. Oh, I love that so much. And do you have a young child? Yes, I have a son. His name is Harvey. He's 17 months old. So, you know, I had a plan to give up basketball by the time our son was born because, you know, um, it gives me more time to look after the family but uh, we managed to, to do it all. <laughs> so yeah. I would keep up with camps and, and do as much as I could with fitness and, and try and not put on the dad bod and try and keep playing for the team. Oh, and it's a good way to show him that you can work towards your goals and you can work as well as compete and you studied. Like all of that stuff is really good lesson for him as well. I found out my wife was pregnant when I was in university studying, so I didn't have a job, and, um, but we, we were still happy and so excited. It's funny because a week later I got a job <laughs> with my good grades and that. I met an employer when he saw me receive the reward for best student reward and they were interested and I got a job and that helped. Is there a lesson that you've learned along the way that you want to share either you know something that you want to share to any up-and-coming deaf basketballers or the, the community as general or even to your son it really ties into what i was saying before but it is you can achieve more than you think yeah because i always want to teach my son that whatever he does i want him to aim to be the best at it and if he loves something and has a passion for it i would support every way to teaching that be the best you can and, and work hard the lesson that i've learned along the way and i would share is that, that we can achieve more than we realize especially with those in the deaf community because we're in a different environment in the hearing environment so if we have different perspectives it can be hard
harder on many levels because we're expected to either keep up despite our differences. That's an amazing lesson and I hope that there's some people out there that can learn from you know what you've gone through in your journey and maybe not now because your son might be a little bit too young to understand but he might listen back in five ten years and and go oh how cool is my dad? Yeah, that would be cool. Like, say, if I play in Brazil, he would be two and a half to three years old. So I guess he'll have some sort of image of knowing dad plays basketball. And, uh, I already, he already knows, understands what a ball is and then tries to shoot it in the hoop. And so, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's adorable. And do you reckon you're going to pop him in basketball early? Uh, it will always be his choice, but if he's never sure, like, of course I can help him get involved in the community by supporting him getting in the team, but if he decides to go another way, then I'll support him in that. I'll probably be those dads that just want to be there to watch his son do something. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so cute. <laughs> Have you been involved in a project where sport has been used as a tool to develop the community? Yeah, uh, so we attend some events, like we had the Goannas attend a, a primary school, I think it was in Blackburn, and it was really quite funny, so they had uh, the Goannas players against all the teachers, and all the prep grade one, two and three were circling the court, cheering and yelling, it was very cool, we were able to introduce ourselves and be involved in the community and developing, you know, the schools are so much more diverse now in Australia, um, in cultures and views and it was really cool that it just seemed like everyone was happy you know we were signing autographs and uh, meeting all these um, children and so it was pretty cool other things we do is like fundraisers so I've gone to businesses and talked about the Goannas and they've been happy to you know give up their product to fundraise as money for the competition and so we have people come in and fundraise for you know they might do some bets or uh, style an auction and all that stuff. So we, we try, we do what we can for um, developing a community and promotion. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's really cool that sport is your vehicle to do that. Correct, yeah. It, it, drives, it drives everything that we do, uh, the basketball and, and the team. Uh, so we have a Facebook page, a website, so we get invites and we're involved in the community uh, as much as we can. So because we're doing it with our family, you know, the Goannis family, we love to do it as well. So get together and go to the community. Oh, awesome. And I'll have to link um, the website and the Facebook page and those kind of details in the show notes so it's easy to find. Yep. Yeah, I'll, um, I can show you that. And you'll see some um, videos of trick shots and funny moments, community engagement, it's really good. Oh, amazing. And where do you see the future of sport? As in the Goanis basketball, the future? Yeah, whatever future you see. I know it's a very big question considering the times we're in, but yeah, it can be the Goannas or basketball or, or anything. So I think more recognition because, you know, looking at Australia's death Goannis, Six years ago, it was unheard of. Mm. Uh, no one knew, but now a lot more people know, and especially because we play at a better level now also. But at the same time, we're trying to bring in younger players because by the time we age, you know, finish playing, we don't want it to stop there. We want it to keep going. 
And so I want to see the future. I want to see this Australia deaf basketball continue at a strong level to always be a competitor and one of the best in Asia Pacific. And so we tend to, as the deaf community, keep involved. Some of us players might have involvement in the, say, the committee or, or the team. So um, there's definitely a future. And I'd love to see it continue to stay strong, especially because it helps so much for deaf individuals, such as myself. Um, so I say it from experience. And I want to, one of my favourite stories is uh, a mother of a deaf child locally has, has thanked us so much just so that her son can see that he can achieve a lot and that um, he can reach for big things. And, um, that disability doesn't necessarily need to hold you back at all. Yeah, that's amazing. And you guys are providing such great inspiration for other kids out there and late teenagers. But, you know, if you could get them in the sport a little bit earlier, like the longevity of the team really lasts. Yep. And, and we're seeing, we're definitely positive vibe to it because, you know, we've got a number of young players that are not yet eligible to join our team but they will be. And we also have some that are, you know, joining the, the youth team who's a bit younger. And, and so we've been able to play against some big B teams, Goannas against big B. So the big B has helped us with community as well. And so we've had some games with them and their families and friends and, and deaf individuals who are able to see and, and some to be inspired. Yeah, and is it the big B? Yeah, so Big B division is a lot of, most of the teams in Victoria, if you were to go, I guess, further than Big B, you would be feeble and you play um, at a more national level and that's before NBL. Okay, cool. If you want to grow the sport, it's a matter of making people aware that there is a pathway out there for them. And I've had that conversation with one of our guests, Matt Hannipal, about Paralympic swimming and the fact that kids can get lost to the sport because they don't know there's a place for them and raising awareness is really important for that so if I might do some research and see if I can link all the teams and the pathways in the show notes so people can whether they're girls or you know younger players find a team that they can join yeah and it's a great for the deaf community to grow as well because there are also people with hearing loss that are not involved in the deaf that's also a good way, such as myself, to get involved with people that understand as well. Oh, that's incredible. And I, I love the work you guys are doing and the fact that you've got that supportive, inclusive, family-like environment for you all to develop and grow through. Yep. So we have um, uh, players, girlfriends, wives. They're, they're part of the family. They're part of the team. Our coaches, partners as well. And so... It really becomes a, a family environment. It's very special. Like I feel comfortable that my son can feel comfortable around the team and, and understand that they're a family and a community. Yeah, oh, that's so special. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I know it's a Saturday morning when we're recording, so I really appreciate it. No worries at all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. 
If you liked this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. If you'd like to be on the show, please send us a message. We would love to hear from you. Until next time.